We're going to talk about discipleship and uh, lock this on. And uh, Jim's got me live here. Okay, so Kevin's uh, asking prayer for destiny. Oh my goodness. All right, so Jim's reading some of your replies to me. So thanks for being uh, active and interactive. And we will lift up uh, Tom again at the end as well as Kevin and uh, and Destiny. She's a, a young lady, teenager, and so we want to pray for Destiny here in a little bit. But, um, okay, um, we've, we've been talking... Uh, the goal of this class is to become established, and uh, I give you a handout online. I don't. I know all of you can't print it, and you probably can't look at it while we're doing the live feed, maybe. But uh, I only gave you one blank, and the answer to that blank is just the word established. And so, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at uh, how Israel was in bondage. And God took them from being in bondage all the way to becoming established. And so uh, we know that discipleship is a process. So salvation is an event. Discipleship is a process. Just like uh, when my son was born, he was born December 13th of 1985, I think it was. So my son is 35, and uh, so his birth was an event. Uh, but that, that event of his birth in uh, Centerville, Iowa, on December 13th of 1985... That began a relationship that uh, we have with our son. So salvation is like being born again. It's an event. There needs to have been a time and a place that you were saved, that you asked Jesus Christ into your heart by faith. Uh, uh, we're saved by faith only in Christ only, uh, plus nothing. No, there's no works. You don't have to do anything to be saved. Salvation is a choice. It's a decision of the heart that you accept him and once you do uh, he wants us to become followers of him and that is the process of sanctification it's from taking you from bondage to being established and so if you'll look at uh, Exodus chapter 4 with me we're uh, I think this will be relevant I I love this uh, I guess I'm being a little bit selfish this morning I'm teaching you something that I really enjoy uh, is looking at uh, types and pictures in the Bible, examples of Israel that uh, apply to us. And so in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, the Bible says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So Israel was God's son. And uh, in the New Testament, we find in John 1.12 that uh, as many as received him, the same gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
And so Israel was God's son. And I want, I want us to see how God's son Israel was in bondage in Egypt. And Egypt is a type of the world. And uh, if you've got your Bible uh, open to Exodus 4, turn, turn back a page to Exodus 2. And we're going to read Exodus 2, verse 23 through the end of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So Israel is God's son. They were in bondage, and they cry out to him. They, they are repenting that uh, they're under... This taskmaster, they, were, they are repenting and crying out to the Lord. And uh, God is going to send them a deliverer just like he will us. And so uh, uh, in the Bible, Egypt is almost always in a negative uh, context. It says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't uh, lean upon Egypt. Woe is them that go to Egypt for help. You know, don't, don't do those things. And... Uh, and so there's a couple of cross-references that uh, shows us that Egypt is a type of the world. And in Exodus 1, I'll just read you some highlights. E- Israel finds themselves that they're being afflicted in Egypt. They're under hard bondage. They have taskmasters over them in Egypt. They had burdens, and they were ma- made to serve with rigor. And the Egyptians made their lives bitter. And so all of us, before we're saved, that, that's a good description. We're, we're, we're in bondage. We uh, sometimes are in hard bondage. We're afflicted. We have burdens. And we have to serve. Uh, and, and sometimes our lives get bitter that we're in this uh, bondage. But, uh, but God sends them a deliverer named Moses. And... Uh, the Bible says that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin, pleasures of sin for a, se- a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward, and it says, by faith he forsook Egypt. And so this deliverer, God raised up Moses, and he, Moses himself, forsook Egypt, and uh, Moses became a type of Christ. Uh, God promised Israel a prophet like Moses. Uh, the Bible says, I will raise... Uh, them up a prophet Jesus from among their brethren like unto thee Moses that's in Deuteronomy Moses was Israel's deliverer and uh, from bondage just as Jesus is the Christian's deliverer from the bondage of sin Pharaoh tried to kill him as an infant and uh, they just they tried to kill Jesus as an infant as well Moses, his first plague that he helped deliver the Israelites from bondage, uh, he turned the water to blood. And Jesus' first miracle, his first public miracle, was to turn water to wine. Moses was called a lawgiver. He was called a mediator. He was called a prince. He was called a judge. 
both fasted for 40 days and both were shepherds. So there's many similarities. And so this uh, Moses, he became Israel's deliverer, just like Jesus becomes our deliverer. So I want us to see that... uh, while discipleship is a process, you can almost look at it in stages. And so this first stage is a stage of repentance. It's uh, it's on your handout. I, I gave you seven stages. And... Um, so Israel repents they don't want to be in Egypt anymore and they cry out to God and he sends them Moses and so that's really the first stage and that covers Exodus chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 12 and something very important happens in Exodus chapter 12 so let's let's look there in our Bibles at Exodus 12 we've got almost one hour, so uh, buckle in, and uh, that that is your first uh, stage of discipleship, is repentance, this process of becoming established, and Exodus 12 is uh, where we're at now, verses 11 through 14. And uh, so we said that the first plague was to turn the water to blood. And there was ten plagues. And this tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And uh, what, what they had to do, if you didn't want any of your firstborn to be killed or die in your house, you had to paint lamb's blood on the doorpost of your house. And so uh, essentially they were delivered by the blood of the lamb, uh, literally, and, uh, and 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 this is called the Passover. And just so you know, Jim and I were talking beforehand. Uh, this week is the Jews' Passover. It's it's this Wednesday, and we we believe that Christ was actually crucified on a Wednesday uh, evening and and put in a grave uh, right before dark. Uh, and and that was a uh, it was a high day. Uh, John nineteen says it was a high Sabbath. It was uh, probably a Wednesday. And so here is the first Passover. That's what we're reading is the first Passover. And this was uh, some 4,000 years ago uh, almost. And here in uh, Exodus 12, verse 11. And we're going to read three, three verses here. Exodus 12, 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be for you to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever." And the Jews have done that. They've kept it uh, as a memorial, as an ordinance, as a feast. And so this is, uh, I think, the first feast of the Jewish year, the Passover. And uh, uh, the Lord says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's why we... uh, 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 
I don't know if you, I know everybody's heard of the Methodist Church, but their founder was John Wesley. And somebody asked him one time, you know, why do you keep preaching that you must be born again? And his answer was, because you must be born again. And so, so it is. We must be born again by the blood of the Lamb. And so when John the Baptist saw Jesus in John 1, verse 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so Jesus was the Lamb. And uh, he came the first time, his first coming as a lamb. He was meek and lowly. And uh, he'll come again as a lion. He's also called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And uh, he's coming uh, forth to conquer and rule with a rod of iron at his second coming. And so uh, what this does, it says to make sure you got your shoes on your feet, uh, eat really quick, because uh, there's nearly 2 million people and they leave Egypt in one night. This was, this was a big thing. And so that's why we say salvation is an event. The Passover was an event. It was uh, an overnight thing. Uh, one day they're in bondage, the next day they're free. And that's how it is with salvation. And so uh, these people uh, are kind of quarantined. And I did want to make an apology. I, I had somebody ask, last week I mentioned that my wife and I were quarantined. And uh, it's a guy I work with. And so he was worried that I was, had the, the virus. And so I apologize for using that word uh, quarantined. Uh, I am not quarantined. Uh, my job has been uh, considered essential. And so uh, I'm still working every day and going to work. And uh, my wife and I are virus free. And so I wanted to clear that up a little bit. <clears throat> So as they leave Egypt, it, they enter into this next stage of their, uh, of their uh, process of being established. And we, we often call that a, pay, a, a time of enlightenment. And I think I had a good, I think I had a description of that here, my handout. Bear with me just a minute. Yeah, enlightenment, uh, knowledge revealed, or revealed knowledge. So when you're enlightened, uh, I mean, when you're in bondage, I mean, that's all you can see is the shackles, the suffering, the affliction. But when you get saved, your, your eyes are opened. And uh, you feel the burden has been lifted and you're able to see more clearly and you have knowledge revealed and you begin learning about the one who made the change. You begin learning about the Lord. And that's what Jesus said. He, he says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Jesus wants us to learn of him. And so this next period, they begin to learn of Jesus. And guess what the first thing they do is uh, look at Exodus chapter 14. Where we're going to be going through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the way up to 1 Kings. So look at Exodus chapter 14. And uh, I'm going to get me one of your waters, Jim. Uh this water's an illustration because the next thing they do is get baptized, so Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, um, here in Exodus chapter 14 and it's verse uh, 26 14 26 and we're going to read uh, through the end of the or through verse 31 yeah the end of the chapter here Exodus 14 26 it 
it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and under... Uh, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea uh, returned to his strength when his... I'm sorry, let me get my glasses. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm having a senior moment. Verse 20... uh, 27. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. And the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore, and Israel saw that the great saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And so I'm going to use a, a map here in just a minute. But uh, I don't know if you can see on my diagram, I got a picture of the pyramids. And uh, after they left bondage, they crossed over the Red Sea. And the book of 1 Corinthians 10 said that they were all baptized in the midst of the sea. So God says this is the nation's baptism. And uh, we've also got a map here. If you can see, uh, this uh, is the River Nile. This is Egypt. Up here in the uh, the Nile Delta is where the pyramids are. Um, I don't see, uh, this is not a modern day, I don't see Cairo, but uh, the pyramids are right around here on our map. And so uh, they left uh, Egypt and they crossed through part of the Red Sea. I don't know if you can see this uh, Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds. And they, they pass over into this Sinai Peninsula. This is called the Sinai Peninsula. And uh, down in here is where Mount Sinai is at. And that's that's the next big event. But the Bible says that they were baptized in the Red Sea and that all the Egyptians were slain in the Red Sea. And we'll look at the map again in just a minute. But uh, I just want this to help you see that these things really happened and Israel really did leave Egypt and they did it one night and uh, the Egyptians pursued them and they they were passed through the Red Sea on dry land. God put walls of water on each side and uh, so Israel was saved. The Egyptians were destroyed and this is that period of enlightenment. You, you can imagine if you were walking through the sea uh, on dry land that you would have some aha moments. God is real. Uh, This is true. Moses is the leader that God selected. He does deliver us. And uh, they they were really saved. So uh, I don't know if uh, if you can... uh, I, I was saved 28 years ago in March. 
And so uh, I can remember distinctly just that feeling of being saved and the burden lifted and just the uh, feeling of peace and you didn't hate anybody anymore and uh, everything was new and uh, you you felt like God heard you and he answered your prayers and so that that's what Israel was feeling and uh, but they entered into this Sinai Peninsula and it's sometimes called the wilderness the wilderness of sin and uh, if you'll look in your Bibles now at Exodus 16 I want to show you one thing that he did for them and this is so key to being enlightened and you can remember it pretty easily it's uh, uh, Exodus sixteen sixteen, so uh, sixteen sixteen is where it starts, and this is where God gave them manna. God began to feed them in the wilderness. They, uh, you know, oftentimes talked about going back to Egypt and how they had it better, but they did not have it better, and um, because God was taking care of them. So sixteen sixteen says this. Uh, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. Verse 17 says, And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And verse 18, And when they did meet it, like measure it with an omer, he that gathered had had nothing left over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And... uh, I wanted to encourage you with this this morning that uh, manna is like the word of God. And it it says there that uh, every man, uh, I think it's relevant to every woman as well, but uh, men especially are supposed to gather every morning. We're supposed to be in the word of God every day. uh, when Jesus was tempted uh, to turn stones to to bread, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so uh, this, this is how we live. Just, just like Israel had to pick up manna after the dew left every morning, they, uh, they could pick up this manna uh, and they would have enough for themselves. No matter how much they gathered, they, they gathered every man according to his eating. So you might read a few verses. You might read a whole chapter. You might read four or five chapters. It, it doesn't matter how much, but you need to gather uh, until the Lord speaks to you, until you feed on his word. And... Uh, and uh, later in this same chapter, I think it is, that God gave them quail at night. He, he gave them meat at night. And so bread in the morning and the quail at night. And he did that for 40 years. As long as they were in the wilderness, he, he fed them and he took care of them. And so he will take care of you and feed you. And uh, that's what led to their enlightenment. They, they uh, grew in understanding who God is. He's our father. He's our protector. He's our provider. And uh, all of us hopefully can look back on our lives uh, and see God 
protected us. He took care of us. He taught us. He trained us. And it's this process of becoming established. So uh, supernaturally with miracle, you know, salvation is a miracle. It's really the only miracle that you can predict. You can predict that if you keep sharing the gospel, that, you know, someone's going to hear and uh, they're going to, uh, Pat Lee did that this last uh, week. He met a guy that was down and out and shared the gospel, and the guy prayed to be saved while he was out fishing at a lake in Belton, Missouri. And and so uh, that's a miracle. And so God did a miracle to save people, and now he's feeding them with his word, and it's this period of enlightenment, and they're growing. And so that's, that's really the two stages uh, from Egypt through the Red Sea, and uh, what we're going to get to is uh, Mount Sinai. And uh, th- this is in Exodus uh, chapter 20. So if you want to uh, look with ex- at Exodus 20, and this is all the way through Leviticus. So uh, I don't know if we want to get this on here, but uh, so this was really... Uh, Exodus 1 through 12 and this was Exodus 13 through 19 and now we're going to look at Exodus uh, 20 through Leviticus so so these are these are kind of stages from bondage uh, to enlightenment and now uh, this is kind of their ministry training Um, you know all of us have gifts we have uh, natural abilities but we also have supernatural abilities and uh, I I, uh, Jim and I and and Pat we we love to teach we love to preach the word of God and so hopefully you think that that's a gift that we have that we uh, can take information and communicate it to uh, others that they might grow thereby And so uh, here's where uh, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And so uh, Moses was leading his people. And uh, and by the way, this is about a year and a half after they left Egypt, uh, give or take. This... uh, So some of like this, like I said, this is a process. And uh, this is where God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, there, there is uh, some have counted as many as 613 different laws and they divided them up into thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do that and uh, around 613 of those and they've even got divisions like some of it's ceremonial law some of it uh, the Ten Commandments really are the moral law and then uh, there's even a, a civil law like uh, washing and eating and uh, unclean and clean and so ceremonial, uh, moral, and uh, even the civic laws that uh, govern this nation of Israel. So they they begin to learn uh, <clears throat> uh, to minister to others, and uh, you, you'll see in chapter twenty these uh, Ten Commandments. In fact, if you want to look at Exodus 20, it's uh, good for you to even mark these in your Bible 
the very first one is in verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So God has to be at number one. That, that's the first thing he says. In fact, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 22 that uh, the law... Uh, Uh, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first commandment with promise. And the second is likened to it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so we're to love God first. We're to love others second. And so it lists the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. This is on Mount Sinai. And I I tried to draw a picture of it here, Mount Sinai. And uh, when Moses was on the the whole mountain trembled. And there was even a presence of fire at the top where Moses was at. And when he came down, his his face shone and his countenance was uh, lit up. And so, uh, but this this period leads to uh, this time before they get to the promised land. This is where God gave him the instructions for the tabernacle. The tabernacle covers at least a dozen chapters, and it's very meticulous of having the furnishings in the chapter and uh, or in the in the tabernacle and uh, the. Uh, the uh, table of showbread, the seven-pronged candlestick called the menorah. And uh, when I was in Israel recently, uh, last November, uh, we went to the Temple Institute, uh, and it's very uh, private. You couldn't couldn't really talk to one another. Uh, You could not have your cell phone on. Uh, They had uh, audio and video cameras in every room. It was kind of a self-guided tour, but... uh, you couldn't take any pictures. It was uh, they had uh, what the priest wore, their garments, and they had even uh, uh, several furnishing. But the thing I wanted to point out was uh, uh, outside the Temple Institute, uh, right there in broad display in a in a courtyard. Um, they had a menorah. It was a seven-pronged candlestick, and it, it weighed over—I uh, think it weighed a little over a ton. So I mean, you couldn't—not like you could pick it up and carry it. It was about five feet tall. And it said on it that it was kosher. It was made according to biblical commandments, and it had uh, uh, as much pure gold as possible without it, you know, being liquid. And it—it it had some. Uh, but anyway, they said that they planned to use that whenever they uh, have uh, temple worship again. And so uh, my son and I, it had a glass cover over so you couldn't touch it, but you could take your picture beside it and everybody could see it. And uh, it was the actual one that they planned to use. Uh, And uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, the Jewish Passover is this Wednesday. And uh, an article we've seen uh, that this week, for the first time in almost 2,000 years, the Jews uh, have constructed a portable altar, and they're going to move this altar. Uh, I don't think they can get it on the Temple Mount, but maybe by the the Wailing Wall. I I forget where they're going to put it at. Uh, but they're going to actually sacrifice a lamb uh, this Wednesday at sundown. And it's the first time they've been allowed to do this in nearly 2,000 years. So uh, this is exciting time. These are things that you can uh, share with your loved ones. That You know, we're all looking at the coronavirus and the number of deaths, but uh, we need to be watching Israel. We need to be uh, pay attention to the signs of the times, and that is definitely one. And so... Uh, 
the tabernacle was a kind of a, a portable temple. They uh, had the tabernacle before uh, King David and King Solomon built the temple. And uh, if you if you go on up to Leviticus now. Uh, the children of Israel were learning about ministry. They were learning about God. They were learning about how to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And Leviticus, of these 12 tribes of Israel, they uh, uh, all 12 tribes put their... Uh, they had a wooden staff. They had a, like a scepter, and they all put it in the tabernacle overnight. And uh, that night... Uh, the next morning they went in and they took these 12 uh, sticks or staffs or scepters and uh, it said that Aaron's rod had budded. It, I guess they were rods, the Bible says. So uh, Aaron's rod, Aaron was of the Aaron and Moses were of the tribe of Levi the, and they became the priestly tribe. And so God put a whole book in our Bible called Leviticus uh, because it describes what the Levites were to do. They were to minister to the Lord and they were to be holy. And let, let me uh, have you turn to Exodus 19. This is probably the key chapter in the whole book. Uh, almost 90 times the word holy is mentioned in the, in the book of Leviticus. So the word holy is your key word in Leviticus. And here in chapter 19... And verse 2, it says, uh, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so uh, we call this, uh, this part of the process ministry training. Uh, the children of Israel were learning and growing and learning how to minister to the Lord. And, uh, and hopefully you can relate to these things. Hopefully you, you've been saved. You've been brought out of bondage. Hopefully you've had this time of enlightenment where you're learning the Word of God. You're being discipled. And that will just naturally go into a time of ministry where we learn how to ministry and we observe others and uh, God is speaking to us as well and we are uh, obeying him and we're becoming holy that that just means consecrate we uh, we have uh, I don't know if your Bible says that but my Bible says holy Bible right on the front of it it's it's a sacred book it's consecrated it's uh, God's words and uh, it, it's holy and God asks us to be holy because he is holy and so as we are growing and we're becoming more like him we know that uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 29 that we're to be conformed to the image of Christ we're to become like him and so uh, God is telling Israel uh, I want you to be holy because I'm holy and as uh, as you're more holy you'll have fruit in your life and you'll be blessed and so he even goes through uh, some of the blesses and curses for not following him and then we get to the book of Numbers we've got about uh, 20 or 30 minutes here left but look at the book of Numbers and uh, what do you think the book of Numbers might be about I'm going to take a drink of water and see if anybody uh, what do you think the book of Numbers is about So this is a good time for you to type in and we're going to look at Numbers chapter 1 and verse 3. 
it says, from 20 years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. She says, numbering the people. And so Angie, my wife, good job, honey. You... uh, the, the book of Numbers uh, means to number the people, and it was uh, it was a counting of them for war. They 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 need to be uh, orderly. They need to be organized. And uh, anybody twenty years old and upward, and so they count them all. And if you look down at uh, chapter one, verse forty six. It tells how many were numbered. It says uh, these 12 tribes, they added up all the numbers. Even all they that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,550. So 603,550 people, these were all the men that were able to go to war. Uh, it doesn't include uh, boys and girls that were under 20, and it does. I think uh, it only goes up to 50, maybe. So the older and younger were not counted, the ladies were not counted, and so it's estimated, uh, you know, around two million people here that uh, are being numbered, and it's numbered for war, and and so this is kind of the next phase of their growth. Uh, we we said the the previous stage was some ministry training. They're learning how to cut up the sacrifices and when to do all these things and uh, tabernacle uh, worship. Uh, but now it's leadership training. We uh, people are being trained to be leaders. They're getting ready to go out to war, and so things have to be uh, very orderly. Uh, the New Testament says to let all things be done decently and in order. And so this is where they were supposed to camp a certain way. And when uh, you know when the uh, the pillar of fire led them by night, and the the pillar of cloud by day, and so they were. To follow a certain way and when the fire the cloud stood still Israel uh, the children of, of, of Aaron they camped in the middle with the tabernacle and these three tribes on the east and these on the west and those on the north and these on the south and uh, so they were all very orderly and uh, the, th- the thing if you're if you're taking notes or if you can at least remember this in your mind. The thing I want to say about this is structure. Um, and, and, and I'm going to draw just a picture of structure. You know, Jesus said that uh, I am the vine and ye are the branches. And if we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. So if we were, uh, if we were to draw... Uh, Uh, if we were to draw uh, a uh, a grapevine, and we call it a grapevine, uh, Judges actually calls it a tree. It it's a tree, and uh, but it, it's a very viney, woody tree, and uh, as a vine. You know, it doesn't stand upright very well. It it uh, falls down, and so the uh, the husbandmen, the the owners of the vineyard, they would build either like a wooden lattice. Uh, nowadays, they use wire, but uh, if you can picture, uh, they would put even some. Uh,
and I'm not drawing this very good, but uh, in order for this vine to have fruit on it, uh, it would need some support. It would need some structure. And so uh, as these begin to get grapes on them, Uh, it would need the help of the structure to support the the uh, the fruit, and so uh, so my whole point here is just that structure doesn't produce fruit, but it supports the fruit, and uh, that's why Solomon says that little little foxes spoil the vine, and so uh, as you think of structure, uh, even our own uh, church, we have pastors and deacons. Uh, we uh, we broke down our church into Bible hours and Bible fellowships, and I'm speaking to you about the journey class right now. And uh, as I'm speaking, there's four other Bible studies going on right now as well. And uh, it's to provide order and structure. And so that's what's going on in Numbers. They're getting ready to go to war, and they need to have their ducks in a row, so to speak. They need to have captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of tens. And so they broke down these two million people into this uh, order. And, of course, Moses is the leader, just as Jesus Christ is our leader. And um, I think Jim's going to talk about that even next week. Some he discipled a guy named Joshua, and we'll talk about Joshua in just a minute. But uh, this whole thing, uh, Numbers, uh, it's chapter one through chapter twelve, and I'll put that on the board here. It's on your handout. And the whole thing is uh, ordering and numbering for war, and it provided structure uh, for people to follow, and it supported the fruit uh, just as it does today. So uh, then something very significant happens in chapters 12 and 13 of Numbers. So be turning to uh, Numbers 13. And... uh, I don't know if you ever sang this song when you were... I didn't sing it when I was a little boy, but I learned it uh, through ministering to children. It it was like 12 men went to spy out Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. And so you get some hand motions going there. And it says uh, uh, 12 men went to spy out Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. So these spies were sent out in in, uh, Numbers chapter 12. And uh, we know one of them was Joshua and one of them was Caleb. These are the two good spies. And uh, they brought back a good report saying, yes, God is with us. Let's uh, go into the promised land and let's possess our possession. God was giving them the promised land. And, uh, but the other ten said, no, there's giants there. Uh, yes, there's fruit, but they've got cities and they've got walls around the cities. And uh, we cannot defeat them. And so they disobeyed God. And I think I said this a minute ago that they were about a year and a half out of bondage. And basically they were telling God no. And that, that's, that's something I encourage uh, anybody that I ever disciple. Just don't tell God no. Uh, the key to spiritual growth is to say yes to God. So he brought them across 
the Red Sea. He brought them out of bondage. He fed them in the wilderness. He established their goings. He gave them a tabernacle, a way to worship him. And uh, he gave them all these things, but they said no. And so, uh, let's see. It's in... uh, Look at Numbers 14 and verse 34. And here's God's judgment. Numbers 14, 34. After the number of days in which he searched the land, even 40 days... Each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So God says, uh, your twelve men spied out Canaan for forty days, and uh, now you're going to wander in the wilderness for forty years. Uh, one year for every day you were gone. So they were they were already in the wilderness for a year and a half. Now they got thirty eight and a half years to go. And uh, so that was God's number of proving. And so this this next section is called reevaluation and separation. So I don't know if you ever uh, have been here in your own life that you've been saved, you've been enlightened, you've had some ministry training, and uh, you're even becoming a leader. But there's a time where you have to make this your own, that you have to reevaluate. And am I going to stay in with one foot in the world and one foot in the church with the Lord? Uh, and so they, they, uh, they decided, no, we're not going to follow God. And so God said, okay, I'll uh, let this generation that rejected my promise. And, and that's why it was called the promised land, because God promised to give it to them. And uh, they said no. And so God said, well, I'll give it to your kids then. And so uh, if you'll uh, look at Numbers chapter 26, and you might think this is a little bit odd, but in Numbers 26, God numbers the people again. And it's because uh, he numbered them again after that uh, former generation died. So Numbers 26 verse 2, Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upward throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. And Moses and Eliezer the priests spake unto them in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Take the sum of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt. And so they numbered them again. This is uh, at the at the end of the 40 years, they number them again. And uh, I'll make mention of this uh, real briefly. When I was in Israel, uh, we actually went to Jericho. And Jericho is uh, uh, in the West Bank. Uh, and it was under Arab control. And uh, uh, our, our guide, he said that... Uh, that the uh, Arabs, uh, mostly Muslim, uh, are very clean inside their homes, but uh, he said they typically throw their trash out their window. So outside the houses was very dirty. Uh, it was a little more run down. And so you could notice a, a significant difference uh, in the way uh, people cared uh, for things uh, from the Israeli side of the West Bank to the Arab side of the West Bank. Uh, 
And uh, it's very near to the Dead Sea. And uh, when we were in the Israeli side of the West Bank, uh, or the Arab-controlled area, he, he pointed across the Dead Sea and he said, those are the mountains from which Moses sent the spies to spy out the land. And he said uh, Moses was able to see the promised land from there. And So uh, if you've ever been to mountains like uh, the Rocky Mountains, they may be just 10 miles away or they may be 20 miles away. It's a little hard to tell. So we were, I would say, 10 to 20 miles away from the mountains that were in Jordan where, uh, where the Bible's talking about here, where they numbered the people. They're getting ready to go for, uh, into the promised land. And uh, so anyway, uh, this, this number 40 is significant. The number 40 is a number of proving. If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy now, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, the, the name Deuteronomy means, uh, duo means two, and onomy means law. So this is the second giving of the law. It's to the next generation that's going in to the promised land. And here in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, it tells us uh, the reason that God allowed them to wander for these 40 years. Uh, Let's read verse 1. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 and 2. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which your fathers swear unto your which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. He says, to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep the com- his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And so... uh, he says these 40 years were to prove you what's in your heart. So this time, uh, this process of discipleship is when he proves what's in your heart. Are you going to follow him or not? You may have to go hungry. You may have to do without some things, but you're going to have to let the Lord be your provider. He's going to have to take care of you. And, and maybe that's uh, where you're at uh, right now, even as we're talking. You're, uh, God's proving you. You may have uh, lost your job. You may be uh, having to be homebound and he may be proving you uh, and humbling you to know what's in your heart. And so 40 in the Bible has always been a number of proving. Uh, In Genesis chapter 7, verses 4 and 12, God judged the world by having it rain for 40 days and nights. That's the first mention of the number 40. God uh, flooded the earth 40 days and 40 nights of rain. The maximum judgment that the Jews could execute was 40 stripes. Israel had four people who judged them for 40 years. Uh, uh, Othniel, Deborah, Gideon, and Eli. They all 
judged Israel for 40 years. Israel had three kings over them for 40 years. Uh, Saul, David, and Solomon were all reigned over all Israel for 40 years. Israel was delivered into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And later, Goliath, their champion, issued a daily test to Israel for 40 days when he mocked them and their God. Is, uh, Jesus was tempted of the devil when he fasted for 40 days. Uh, Elijah, his faith was tested uh, by Jezebel when he fasted for 40 days and he fled to Mount Horeb. In Exodus uh, 34 and verse 28, uh, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's when he got the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, which was 40 years after the Lord's crucifixion. Uh, and as a proving period to see whether or not the Jews would convert to Christianity. Um, there's 40 hours in a work week. Uh, ladies are pregnant for 40 weeks before they give birth. It's a time of testing. Uh, Israel was in bondage for 400 years. Uh, that's 10 times 40. Uh, there are about 400 years of silence between Malachi and the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew is the 40th book of our Bible. 39 in the old. And it's the 40th book. Um, and uh, it's been nearly 400 years since we've had our King James Bible of 1611. And, uh, of course, uh, Jonah began, uh, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And, uh, friend, it, uh, God used about 40 different authors to write our Bible. So there's lots of 40s in the Bible, so I just wanted to mention a few of those. Uh, as we were talking about this uh, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, as uh, they were having this reevaluation and separation, and uh, God was proving what was in their heart. And so, uh, two more stages to go uh, leadership in ministry. We'll uh, look at the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua. He, uh, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. And uh, this is uh, one thing really cool that I never knew. Uh, in fact, Jim, I'll have you look at Acts chapter 7. I'll have Jim read uh, Acts 7.45. But the name Joshua in Hebrew is the same word as Jesus in the Greek. And so when uh, the King James... Uh, translators translated our Bible, uh, Acts seven forty five. Can you read that for us? Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. So God brought Israel into the promised land with Jesus. It says our New Testament uses the word Jesus in reference to Joshua bringing them into the promised land. And so uh, I've, got, I've got a picture of that here on the board, uh, the Jordan River. I meant to draw Jericho here. They're, they're, uh, or they cross over Jordan and into the promised land, and that's where they uh, meet Jericho. And if you look on an actual map, uh, Israel wandered around. There's at least 17 different camps. They wandered around in uh, the Sinai Peninsula. It says the wilderness here, the wilderness of Zin or Sin, and uh, and they go over here, 
and up this is Jordan uh, this is Moab and they're going to cross over uh, this is the Dead Sea I was telling you they, they sent the spies and uh, uh they cross over Jordan on dry land just like they crossed over dry land in, in the, 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 the Red Sea. And so uh, this is where Jericho's right there. And uh, they cross over the Jordan on dry land by Joshua or Jesus, their leader. And uh, that's how we're going to enter the promised land uh, by faith in Jesus. He's going to... Uh, that's when... Uh, they're they're living by the promises of God, and so this is a whole process that we're going through, from bondage to becoming established, and uh, this covers really from Joshua through Second Samuel. So Joshua through Second Samuel, and then the last one is First uh, Kings. 1 through 8. That's only 6. I must have forgot one in there. I apologize for that. But uh, anyway, this is recorded for us in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. That's where they crossed the the, uh, Jordan River. And uh, right at the end of Joshua chapter 24, uh, Joshua makes the famous statement that as for him and his house, they're going to serve the Lord. And so uh, Joshua does conquer much of the promised land and he uh, fights the battles and they... they, they are becoming established. This is a time of, of leadership in ministry. And uh, some of you that I'm talking to now are maybe leaders in a ministry, uh, or you're going to be. And so these are things to think about uh, as he leads the people. And it's it says... Um, uh, the Joshua 3, it says when they crossed the Jordan, it's when uh, Joshua is going to be magnified that day. It's uh, Joshua 3, verse 7. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And so God is with Joshua, just as he was with Moses, and uh, they learned that that day, as God has the river stop flowing and it piles up, and uh, as soon as the priest's feet touch the river, and uh, that's where Rahab the harlot uh, is saved in her household because of the scarlet river. Uh, uh, scarlet thread that she uh, hung out her window. Joshua spared her just like he spared Israel by the blood of the Lamb. She has this scarlet thread that she has saved uh, because of uh, her faith and uh, lodging the spies. And so uh, at the end of Joshua, chapter 24, uh, verses 29 through 31, it says, uh, Joshua 24:29, And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his, in, of his inheritance in Timnasaeh, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of 
Gaash, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And so uh, Joshua dies, and the children of Israel serve the Lord as long as uh, Joshua and the elders uh, are that outlived him. But uh, then we get to the book of Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel, and a lot happens here. Uh, God does give them judges; uh, they desire a king, and so uh, Samuel the prophet. He anoints uh, King Saul as the first king, and uh, uh, and then uh, King David after Saul, and so we we're all familiar with uh, King David. But uh, look with me now at First Kings, uh, this last stage, this consecration and world vision. This is where Israel becomes established. They went through uh, Joshua. Judges, uh, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, and you get to First Kings, and uh, let me get there in chapter two, and this is where King David dies. So uh, Joshua helped conquer the land, and uh, King David is a warrior, and he uh, establishes the kingdom, and he has a heart to. Uh, build the temple of God and the Lord tells him uh, no but the Lord's going to build him a house uh, established forever and in 1 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 King David dies it says now the days of David drew nigh that he should die and he charged Solomon his son saying I go the way of all the earth be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou uh, turnest thyself that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning thee me saying if thy children take heed in their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul there shall not fail thee said he a man on the throne of Israel and so this is where King David passes the torch to his son Solomon and in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 Solomon asks for wisdom and uh, so King David dies and if we go to chapter 4 verse 29 uh, chapter Chapter 4 of 1 Kings. We're almost done. Stay with me. 429 says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, uh, than Ethan and Ezra, the Ezraite, and Heman, and Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Machol, and his fame was in all nations round about, and he spake three thousand proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. 
And it goes on to tell of his wealth and wisdom. So this is the King Solomon that uh, built the temple. This is when uh, Israel was at its apex. And this is what our goal is for discipleship is to go through this process, the, uh, the repentance, the enlightenment, the ministry training, the leadership training, the reevaluation and separation, the leadership in ministry. And we get to where uh, we're going to see that Solomon had a world vision here and it's in chapter 8 Solomon uh, in chapter 6 and verse 1 is where he built he began building the temple, First uh, Kings six one, and it came to pass in the four and four hundred and eightieth year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. So he began to build it in chapter six. And in 7, he completed it. And in chapter 8 is when he dedicates it. And so let's look at uh, Exodus, or, uh, 1 Kings 8, verses 1 through 5. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto king... Uh, of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David which is Zion and all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast of the month in the month uh, Ethanim, which is the the seventh month so this is uh, the seventh month and all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle even those did the priests and the Levites bring up and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark sacrificing sheep and oxen oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude so this is a big deal the the people are in the land they've got a king uh, they've got a temple they've got a law they uh, are worshiping. Uh, they've got a kingdom. They've got a work to do. There's people there, leaders and subject. Uh, even though uh, it's a time of peace and God is providing for them. And so Solomon, in verse 22, uh, he, he starts... Uh, this is what it says, First Kings eight twenty two, and Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands toward heaven. So he begins praying. Just uh, we're going to pray here in just a minute too. But he gives this wonderful prayer, and he's standing. And if you, if you go all the way to uh, fifty four. In verse 54, it says at the end of his prayer, And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. So he gives this 20 or 30 verse prayer and he starts out standing. And by the time he's done, he's kneeling here before the people, before the altar, 
uh, before the uh, Ark of the Covenant, I mean. But the one the one thing I wanted you to see here was in verse 43. And uh, I'll, I'll close with this in verse 43. This is part of his prayer. He says, Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all the people of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. And so uh, they go from a people in bondage in Egypt through all this process and they get uh, 400, almost 500 years later, they're in the land, they've got the king and Solomon is saying, I want the whole earth to know the name of Israel, the name of the God of Israel. And so this is, uh, Israel now has a world vision. God didn't save them out of Egypt so that they could just be uh, isolated and uh, to the exclusion of everybody else. But God saved them and and uh, established them so that they could now be, have this world vision and be consecrated and so that they could reach the world for him. And so I'm going to close up there and uh, have a word of prayer. And uh, just got a couple of prayer requests before we close today. And I am uh, five minutes over, but I uh, start a couple minutes late. So we want to pray for Kevin. Uh, Mark Shipley asked just uh, for prayer for his wife. And so we'll just lift up uh, Laura as well. And uh, Dottie's lifting, listening. So I'm glad you're with us, Dottie. You're uh, a big part of Life Issues. And so thank you for tuning into the journey. I, I hope uh, you and all uh, all that are listening can uh, join in. Do they say how many are listening today? We've got around 13. Brian Parrott's been on. Okay. Uh, Patrick, Kylie, uh, Kaylee. Okay. Uh, hey, Kaylee. Who? Worthington's. We're on for a while. Oh, man. Shipley. Okay. Well, uh, all right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll we'll be finished today. Uh, Father, we do love you. We uh, do sense this process of discipleship. And Lord, the key really is to say yes to you. And so, Lord, forgive us for when we do say no. And I know that you can't go any further with us when we say no. And so, Lord, uh, help us to be refreshed today from seeing uh, your son Israel go through this uh, process of discipleship to becoming established. And Lord, I I pray you'll establish me, uh, establish all of us as we uh, have contemplated these things. And Father, uh, for these that have asked prayer for their loved ones, I I do lift up Kevin as he's burdened for his daughter, Destiny. And Father, uh, I believe Destiny is saved. She's your child. And uh, Lord, uh, maybe not the best living situation. So I pray you'll work all that out out. Uh, Make destiny a virtuous woman. I pray, Lord, that you'll guide that young lady and use Kevin and her mother. And uh, Father, for Mark Shipley, as we want to lift up Laura. I know these are just a little bit scary times, and all of us have some doubts and fears and unknowns. And so, Lord, we lift up Mark and Laura Shipley by name. And Father, for Dottie, as she's uh, just got some pain with her hip and her legs, and she's unable to really get out and do much. And so, Lord, uh, I pray your Holy Spirit will comfort her. And uh, just lastly, for Tom Merritt, again, uh, he's had a difficult week and burden for his children. And 
So help him to stay the course. I pray you'll strengthen him in his inner man. And uh, Lord, help us all to be good disciples of Jesus Christ. I just thank you for Jim and Pat and the other leaders of this uh, Bible Hour. I pray you'll be with uh, Pastor Brian now in the, the main worship service. And we'll just uh, be careful to give you the, all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm signing off now. See you next week, brothers and sisters. And stay.